There really are new sorts of people running for office, godly people, conservative people. We're talking with a gentleman named Jared Sessler. He was in D.C. on Jan 6, didn't go into the buildings, went to watch President Trump speak. Um, he is a first-timer in politics, and the establishment quite clearly hates his guts. And they're all over him. Oh, incidentally, to the national audience, because the podcast, thanks be to God, is national focus. He's running against a guy named Dan Newhouse, who voted to impeach President Trump but had nothing to say about Black Lives Matter Incorporated or Antifa or the cartels that run wild and what you would you know, think of as his home state, Washington, but his home state's actually D.C. So what's this been like and, and what's he reflected upon? I asked him about Jan 6. About eight months later, I was in D.C. shooting an awareness video at the D.C. jail and Carl Dresch, who was a prisoner for six months in solitary confinement, 23 hours a day, came walking out of the jail while we were shooting a video. He literally tears in his eyes, walked up. I'm reading off a teleprompter. Our team is there. We're shooting this video. And it was just this human moment. And, and we hugged and we let him use one of our phones to call his wife. And I ended up interviewing him, talking about the conditions in the jail, which were horrific. Uh, and that video went viral. It was getting tens of thousands of views you know, per day until YouTube shut it down about a week later. Let me just say this, Todd, because this is very important. Most people don't see the truth hidden in plain sight in our Constitution. In 1791, our, our framers ratified, the, the final state ratified our first 10 amendments in the Constitution. What people don't realize is those started as 17 amendments in the Senate. They were reduced down to 12 in the House. And then oddly, as they went out to the states for acceptance, they, they ended up on ten, those first 10 amendments. Now, what's interesting about it is, is that half of those first 10 amendments are related to the treatment of prisoners. And so you have to step back and ask yourself, so were our framers interested or worried about the treatment of guilty criminals, or were they concerned about what tyrannical governments do to innocent people by imprisoning them? There's a new form of person running for Congress. The Todd Herman Show is 100% disapproved by big pharma, technocrats, and tyrants everywhere. Now, from the high mountains of free America, here's the Emerald City Exile, Todd Herman. Today is the day the Lord has made, and these are the times through which God has decided we shall live. It is a time of choosing. We decided to make ourselves the partner of the week this week. Probably the only time we'll do this. Just to let people know that the Todd Herman Show t-shirts are finally for sale, not at events. That's where they've been for sale. You can go to the ToddHermanShow.com and click on the store link. I became aware of some lies being peddled about a guy who's running for Congress. And it's not just the Democrats. The fall in the country of Washington, the former state there, couldn't be in the terrible condition it's in without the uh, passive participation and all too often active participation of the um, feckless uh, Republican Party there. And the gentleman now running for Congress against Dan Newhouse, who voted to impeach President Trump, is finding out just how feckless these people can be. Jared Sessler joins us. Jared, welcome to the Todd Herman Show. 
Thank you, Todd. Appreciate it. Love your show. Uh, thank you, man. Appreciate you. Let me start with the uh, questions I ask every politician. Um, and I don't consider you a politician. I consider you a guy trying to maybe break up politics. Who is Jesus Christ to you? Well, he's a savior. What's interesting about uh, Jesus, and I think this is our most important thing that we can share with each other as believers whenever we meet, and, and this is uh, not just on Sundays, but whenever we meet is to share the gospel. And the gospel is a very simple story of God creating us with a mission and a vision, uh, with us falling short of that mission and vision, creating a gap, and essentially we're rebels to God. And uh, that created this gap or this distance between us and God. And Jesus is God in the form of man who came to the earth to reconcile us, to put us in right standing with God, to, to bring us back together in a way that's quite interesting that we cannot outrun. It's like a cloud covering. If I jump in my race car and drive as fast as I can, I cannot get out from underneath this covering of grace. And uh, Jesus is the enabler of that. We don't have to work for our uh, you know, our, our heavenly blessing, if you want to call it that, uh, it's the idea that we get to live under this, uh, this amazing covering, uh, that God has given us this love and we're accepted fully. And, and to me, uh, that gospel story, Jesus is the, is the whole pinnacle of our Christian faith. Well, that's as well said as I've ever heard it, Gerard. I love that. Thank you very much. Um, there is in Washington State, uh, it is thick with complicity, in my judgment. Um, and I want to get your your feelings on this. First of all, we've got Jamie Herrera Butler and Dan Newhouse, both of whom who voted to impeach President Trump, neither of whom have had anything to say about Antifa, Black Lives Matter, the fact that the cartels, um, that is the Russian cartels, the Chinese cartels, the Honduran cartels, the Mexican cartels are free to set up business, not just in drug trafficking, but in sex trafficking in Washington state. Uh, barely a word about that. Um, I watched the political process the past two years before we left. And I watched a pretend legislative session where, where guys like Jesse Young were not even allowed to have floor objections because they were on mute, not even allowed to represent people. Um, what is your, now that you've been running for Congress in, in, in um, the Benton County area, uh, what is it that you observe about the, um, the, the establishment GOP in this, I think, fallen state? Well, Todd, I'll say there's, there's a bunch of ways I could respond to that, but let's just stay on the biblical uh, perspective for starters, and then we'll get into some of the details here. But I was reading this morning about the, uh, Dr. Benjamin Rush, who called himself a Christocrat, uh, because people had asked him, they say, well, are you a Democrat or are you an aristocrat? And he would say, well, I'm a Christocrat because of Proverbs 14.34, which says basically righteousness exalts and sin brings reproach. And so anybody who wants to say that there's no place for our faith in politics or in leadership uh, really should memorize Proverbs 14.34. Essentially, what the left is telling us today is that the Bible is not justification for belief or action. And what me, you, and, and thousands of other people around this country are standing up and saying is there is no other justification for action other than our belief in, in the Bible and in God. Yeah, and I would say that there are people who say that the justification is they like a thing. Right? They, they like a thing, or I would say it this way about the establishment. Um it's not going to offend the Seattle times. Yeah. And, and the thing is, is if you like something, that means that your God 
or your thing is your God. And, and that's just insignificant. So the, the establishment's pretty amazing here, I would say, across the country. Uh, one thing that I think is one of the most disgusting things that I have learned uh, is that there are brothels all across this great American country. And the only way that those are allowed to exist is if people are covering it up uh, because they like to enjoy it or something, or they're leveraging the, the tools that are made available to them through those. That's happening right here in this country. And, and for some reason, just like uh, Jeffrey Epstein's, you know, uh, guest list, that doesn't seem to end up being public information. So I think that's a real problem. So, as far so, as the establishment, I'll, I'll give you an example. You yeah. know about Roanoke, I'm sure. I know about what? You've been to Roanoke? Oh, yeah. I spoke, you know about I Roanoke? spoke at Roanoke one year, um, and then um, they pretty much determined um, that I'm not going to play the game, um, that I'm not yeah. going to refuse to call out Republicans. You know, when I see them uh, take the knee to transgender ideology, as they did, you know, that stuff all got, got really started in Washington State when three cowardly Republicans – simply didn't lift a finger to stop the so-called human rights commission uh, yeah. from allowing men to shower with women. And I called that out um, yeah. or I called out in for folks around the country. I'm talking about a guy I call heroin, Dan Satterberg. Um, in my mind, he's a Soros DA became a Soros DA. They, they were running him as a Republican, Jared, um, as he, as he allowed rapists to walk the same day. I'm not kidding. I'm talking about a guy attempting to rape a woman on a bus, beating her, um, choking her, and then it, it, the bus driver stopped and the guy got off, got arrested. He's taken to jail, and the, the arresting officers saw that man a couple hours later walking down the street. And wow. yeah, I called out Dan Satterberg. So Roanoke is a festival of, of I would say, the establishment. What were you going to say about it? Well, I, I uh, had the opportunity to attend that this last year, and uh, while I was there, uh, Representative Newhouse, who is the representative here in central Washington, who also voted to impeach President Trump and has been taking money from China since 2016 and, you know, uh, voted for the sham January 6th uh, debacle and all this kind of stuff. He was moderating a panel and I simply got up and called him out on the, the panel was about the Afghanistan extraction, which was a complete American disaster and embarrassment. And all I, all I said was, is w wouldn't this be a lot different had we not, you know, allowed for a sham election and impeached the greatest president who uh, we've known in our lives? And the interesting thing about it wasn't so much the confrontation that I, I had or I started there. The interesting thing was turning around from the microphone and seeing only half of the room stand up cheering. And in that moment, I realized, wow, there is a lot more establishment people here who do not see the light, who don't realize how uh, precarious of a situation we are in as a country because of their apathy and their willingness to stand by and allow the Democrats to do whatever they want with our country and our lives. Yeah. And I know that you are, I, I you know who Senator John Braun is. Yeah. Right. So Braun came on my program when I was leaving radio just before that, that uh, the summer before I left. And, and he came on and he said a couple of things. I asked him about, hey, how do you feel about people who are concerned about election integrity? And he said, you know what, Todd, that's a sore loser game. Um, that's for extremists. Um, it's embarrassing. 
we have to stop talking about that. That's what losers do. <laughs> I let him go on. And I actually said, have you ever listened to my show, by the way, John? Because you're talking about me. And then the other thing he said, the Senate minority leader, was um, I asked him about crime and the stakes of the game. I asked him about Black Lives Matter and, and, and the cartels and the record high rapes, record high murders. And he said, crime is not a winning issue. Uh, we need to focus on properly funding the schools uh, as if the schools in Washington wow. state are not overfunded. So, so you had a very similar experience. And so I guess you decided that you would run and it's CD4. And I assume that the, uh, the establishment, the Washington GOP, uh, Caleb Heimlich there, the, uh, the chairman, I assume that he's been neutral and, and supportive as a fellow Republican running. Yeah, it's interesting because the the state and all the counties are are sort of some to an extent hands off because they're like, well, our bylaws yeah. prevent us from really doing anything, and you know this kind of stuff. Although they censure the the you know incumbent for his actions, and they recognize all of them, I think individually recognize that we need change, but yet they won't stand up and and do anything. And just by way of a race update, you know, in Washington state, it's all mail-in voting. The voters have had their ballots for over a week. Yeah, We're actually in the midst of an active poll right now that we got. Uh, and these are real polls. These are thousands of calls going out. We're actually with 20, about 25% of the vote in, we're leading Newhouse by two points and uh, three points over third place. So you know, we're doing good. I, I am the only clean candidate in this race who has a legitimate shot at winning. You know, I've been married for 25 years, three kids, homeschooled. I drove race cars, as you know. I've built businesses, founded youth organizations. I've been to D.C. dozens of times. You know, I've, I've just had my head down. I had a rough childhood, was abused, five stepfathers. But I've had my head down working. And by God's grace, in the American dream, I've built an amazing life. And that's the reason why I'm running for Congress, because we need great people that are smart. I have two engineering degrees to go back to Washington, D.C. and defend this great country. And I've had the opportunity of meeting with about 20 of the Freedom Caucus uh, members over the last year, year and a half as I've been on this campaign. And I can tell you with excitement that there are a lot of great, encouraging, strong Christians who want to be uh, bold. And I think we're going to see a Republican party on offense for the first time in, in January. Well, that would be fantastic to see. Um, and that offense to me, um, how much of a chance does the Republican party have of making um, fundamentally important changes that get us out of a battle with God? Because this nation's uh, bosses, I don't say leaders because they're not, this nation's bosses have us sideways with God. Um, what sort of chance do we stand if Kevin McCarthy and um, and Mitch McConnell remain at the top? Well, my take is we have zero chance. I mean, and I say that based on past results. Uh, you know, the last thing we want is another Paul Ryan, you know, era where where the policies that we need, the offensive policies, that's going offense, that's Marshawn lynching this thing down the field, not just guarding the line, but going forward. If we, if we continue with those kinds of leaders, we have zero chance. The other thing, Todd, is I just want to zoom out here. We have very little chance, even if we have a radically strong presence and movement, like, like what President Trump represented uh, in, from 2016 to 2020, the, the problem with it is, is it does move the needle in the right direction and you can get a lot of good stuff done, 
But the problem is local. The problem is always local. The problem is when you have strong leadership in Washington, D.C., even for good, it, it doesn't help people on the local level realize they have to get off of their couch and be active. They have to understand their voting system. They have to understand a little bit about civics. Who are their representatives? What's going on? What, how does that play together? And they have to be active. And I would say it aligns with this idea that we really need revival in America, not just spiritual revival, but we also need political revival. People need to start to stand up, to wake up, to realize that we are the majority. This government operates under our consent. And as long as we're willing to give our consent without any conditions, then the left is going to continue to drive this country off a, off a cliff. And so my point is, I think that we are going to have a very strong uh, offensive, and I hope to be part of that in January, 118th Congress. But if we don't do the same thing on a local level, then, then it's just temporary. It, it will be like bringing President Trump back and you know doing a bunch of good things. But what if that doesn't translate to, into anything positive locally? And that's the reason why I am not willing to sit by and watch this corruption in our own state, in our own counties. We have to fight against that. We have to stand against it. I really don't care who likes me or doesn't like me. I'm going to call out corruption. I don't care if I sit in the pew next to them in church. If they're corrupt, they're getting called out. Well, th- that has to happen uh, because uh, we live right now under the shadow of lies. And there, the, the, the establishments toss out some lies about you, as I understand it. So this is yeah. remarkable to me. Um, Jared, I've, I've had the same thing said about me. Um, my daughter once told some friends, um, she was at a, a friend's house and um, said, oh, my dad, you know, worked at Microsoft. He had an internet radio company. He drove race cars. Um, he's a talk show host. He worked in DC. And um, effectively, one of the parents said, nah, no chance your dad's done all that. Like, you know, sounds like your dad likes to exaggerate. And my daughter was really upset and came home and said, they don't believe you did those things. And I said, well, I don't care. I mean, I did. Um, if it's really bothering you, I'll, I'll show you. And we sat down and said, okay, here's the internet radio company. Here's the, you know, you know, I was in DC, you were there with me. And she said, why would they say that? I said, I don't know. I, I can't read their motives. I, again, I don't care. But you had someone um, say that you were too young to have had all these things happen. So you, you um, the, the two engineering degrees, I mean, I guess all you did was show them your, your degrees, right? Is that what you did to say, I, here, yeah. here they are? So, so, so they said these things, you don't have two engineering degrees. You were never diagnosed with cancer. You never drove a NASCAR. Yeah. So it's interesting. I mean, all that is hogwash, but it's interesting. I've learned, I had no idea that I was going to get such vitriol from the establishment. In fact, they're, they're, uh, they're much more nasty than the left. The left, they just call me sexist and a racist and they laugh, laugh it off. And they're just like, whatever. Yeah. I've been alive for 53 years. I've never been called that until all of a sudden I stood up to stand for, you know, America and traditional American values as a Republican and a conservative and a Christian. Yeah. So I get that the only weapons you have, that's all they ever do is call us racist and, and, you know, bigots and, and, um, you know, sexist or whatever, but the right, they're more insidious, you know, their, their motives are merely to cast doubt among the voters. And so they, they say things like, oh, this guy never drove race cars, which is lunacy. They just, you know, why don't they go talk to some of the people that I, that I raced against? Or uh, I'm not an engineer. Well, why don't you have an engineer or a couple call me and we'll talk about engineering stuff and they can learn that I actually am. So, but what their point is, is they really just want to 
make me make me out to be a liar. They want people to think, oh, this guy is disingenuous. You know, he's not true. He's not faithful. You know, most people don't know me. They don't. They haven't met my wife. They don't know my kids. They don't. They haven't seen the the years of homeschooling, and you know, they don't worship with us. They, you know, it's like they, they people don't have that opportunity to see you personally, and. Um, you know, it, so, so anyway, that's the point, the difference between the left and the right. You can always tell where the attack is coming from because one is an attack. It's just a direct on frontal attack that, you know, is a lie. And then the other one is more of this insidious, well, we're just going to cast some doubt about this guy and kind of make you think he's not who he says he is. And, and, uh, you know, it's just disgusting. Well, I, I challenged Newhouse to come on my show for two straight years. I, 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 I challenged, um, Butler uh, or Jamie Herbert Butler, both these people voted to impeach President Trump. Um, then I challenged him to come on the podcast. Then I started to tell them uh, the first five questions I would ask them so they could rehearse. Um, and none of them will. Uh, they, they, and Newhouse's people wouldn't even respond. Uh, Butler's people refused to say no, but it was a scheduling conflict of two, two years and six months. Uh, just yeah. figure out how They're to find, very busy. Yeah, find 20 minutes in two years and six months. Um, do you, um, they, they claim you don't live, um, in the district. Yeah, that's a lie. I mean, you know, we've, we've owned property here for, I think seven years now. And, you know, I moved here in 1974 as a kid, you know, to the tri cities. This is my home. It's always been my home. You know, I did spend many years on the West side of the state and, and, you know, back many years ago, it was actually pretty decent over there, but it wasn't my choice as a kid to move over there. But as an adult, I moved back here because this is home for me. This is, this is where I love it. And where's Newhouse uh, live? So it's just Lunas. Uh, Newhouse lives in DC and, and this is, it's, it's actually interesting. And I don't, I don't want to use this as a hit on Newhouse, just kind of interesting, but he lost his wife in, who lived, they lived in Sunnyside, uh, which is not far from Tri-Cities a yeah. few years ago. And he remarried a gal who's a lobbyist in DC. And I know that I've been told they have a, a place in Florida. So it's just interesting, <laughs> you know, different, you know, I, yeah. I, I want to go to Washington DC and try to fix things so I can come back home. I've got a beautiful place on the river here in, in a Prosser, which is near Tri-Cities. And this is where I'm going to live out the rest of my life versus, you know, somebody who's a career politician who wants to, um, you know, wants to sort of play the game. Yeah. And, and that was my point in asking is I, 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 it's my assessment as well. Newhouse lives in DC. He's completely, completely disconnected. Um, I met Herrera Butler before she ran for Congress and it was at an event in Denver. I was with the Republican national committee. I used to work in the, in the realm of that stuff. So I understand how it works. And I was running digital and, and she came up in a receiving line and handed me her business card. And I looked at her and I said, so when are you running for office? And she goes, oh my gosh, how could you tell? I was like, well, how could I not? I mean, you're very poised. Um, you're handing me your business card with both hands. Um, and I think for a time she was a very good um, representative, but she's, she's been sucked into that vortex uh, there's no morality there. So let me ask you this, Gerard, before I let you go, how will you, um, in DC, how will you keep from being drawn into the, um, to the darkness? Yeah, I think, you know, I get that question a lot because people are very concerned about, you know, who are they voting and, and what you have to rely on is, you know, I'm, I'm one of the people, you know, I, I, I'm sort of the Green Bay Packer, uh, candidate. It's, you know, uh, one of the people, the people's team. You know, I've, I grew up in a rough 
life. I had uh, five stepfathers was abused by, by them and, and somehow by God's grace turned that into just a really great, amazing life where I've been successful in business and had a great, I've had a great marriage almost will be coming up on 26 years here and obviously love Jesus and, and have strong faith. And, and I think the thing that I've come to realize is I used to agree with people. They say, oh, well, you know, it seems like at about three or four terms, about six or eight years back there, people just get corrupted and, you know, something happens. But the reality is, you know, you look at some of those people like Jim Jordan and, you know, Bob Good is fairly new. He's on his second term, but, you know, Andy Biggs and Louie Gomer. There's, you know, there's a lot of those people who have been back there for a few years and somehow that doesn't happen. And I think the truth is that you get, you, you, you may be able to deceive voters in order to get the vote. You know, we have a, we have a, a candidate in this race who is doing that uh, other than the incumbent. Yeah. Uh, but once you, once you get there, your true colors are going to come out. You're and and that's, we don't need any more of that. We need people who have principle before they go. And I believe by God's grace that those people will maintain it. And we have examples of that. And the other thing is, is that, you know, I've already been successful in my life. I've done everything on my bucket list I, list I could ever imagine wanting to do. This isn't about notoriety or fame for me or even money. I don't need the money. I don't want the fame. I just want this great opportunity that I've been able to leverage coming out of a difficult childhood to be able to live the American dream under the umbrella of, of God's grace and protection. I want that to continue, not just for America, but for the rest of the world. And that's my, probably my biggest motivation for, for signing up for investing, you know, 2% or actually close to 4% of my life so far into this race. I've been doing this for two years. Uh, I, I was in Washington DC on January 6th. So I saw what happened there. You know, I, I just, I realize and I see sort of this collective and, and if we have time, I'll explain one other concept, uh, before we jump off of here. Yeah, let's, but those are those are the reasons why. Sure. Yeah, you want me to talk about that? Yeah, yeah. So no, no, but let's let's thing. do that. Let's do that in a second, uh, Jared. Uh, okay. Jared, I want you to do that in a second. I also would like to hear about your time, um, January sixth, because I uh, maybe during while we're talking, the feds will show up and arrest you. <laughs> All right, so we'll talk oh, further uh, with uh, Jared Tesler, and we'll also make sure he announces his campaign website because. I hate to say it, but really all, all races are national at this point because we're also running against Mitch McConnell and Kevin McCarthy. And that's a sad fact of the matter. I um, had a uh, medical appointment this morning and it is with my hormone doc. And I'm, I'm pretty transparent about this. I'm not on steroids, would, would never consider such a thing. Uh, but my body doesn't make, um, uh, I, don't, I don't make hormones in the right way anymore, uh, particularly adrenaline. And at one point, a doctor was really concerned because she said, I don't see any adrenaline in your body. And a lot of this has to do with the um, spending two, well, three years in fight or flight. That's what I've been told. So we replaced that and um, I take some testosterone, not like my friend John Curley who has the testosterone of an 18 year old. But I will tell you something else that I did without medication. And that is uh, my thyroid. I used to be hypothyroid. And so I'd have to take those pills every day in the morning because if you take them at night, they turn into speed. And if you don't maintain that, you eventually end up taking more and more thyroid meds. Eventually that affects your heart. 
And do you know what did that for me? Got away with it. It was fascinating. When I lost my first 95 pounds of unwanted body fat, I went in and checked in with my doctor and she ran a blood screening and came back and said, Hey, I want to rerun that. And she said, your thyroid is perfect. It's, it's spot on. In talking this morning with Jen, Dr. Jen about this, uh, the changes that I've seen in my body, because she has the old blood test, because we talked about this, having lost another 50 pounds of unwanted fat um, are extraordinary. So I'm here to tell you that we talk a lot about the uh, ability to move better with Soda Weight Loss, sodaweightloss.com. We talk about the cosmetics. That's, let's be honest, that's real. Uh, we talk about the money savings. But I'll also just tell you that your disease susceptibility, that's almost completely in your hands if it's weight related. And excess fat on your body will lead eventually to health problems and losing it could lift this and you might be off the pill. So if you got a whole, you know, bucket full of pills you take every morning, what if you could cut that in half? Well, that's one of the happy side effects of dropping unwanted fat from your body. So do weight loss are healthcare providers from way back. And the reason that they're now a national program is just strictly through word of mouth. They didn't start to reach out through radio and then our podcast until the word of mouth took hold. And this is word of mouth. My wife's on the program, loved one of my family. I get notes all the time from listeners. It's Soda Weight Loss at SodaWeightLoss.com. Uh, Jared Sessler is with me running for Congress, CD4, if you're interested um, in Washington state and running against the establishment, running against Newhouse uh, directly, who chose to impeach President Trump, but is silent about Black Lives Matter Incorporated. My judgment, my experience with him is he's a frightened man when it comes to that, because the word black is in it, um, like he's frightened of gender politics and the lies of gender ideology. And like Herrera Butler's frightened of that and frightened of Antifa. So this is a national thing because if Jared goes into Congress, Jared, I don't assume you're going to vote for uh, for uh, McCarthy to be leader when you're back in Congress. No. Okay. <laughs> That's a pretty simple answer. Um, let's, you were going to share one more idea with us, and then I wanted to ask you about your time there on January 6th. So what was the other idea you wanted to share with the audience? Yeah, I do. But I've heard you talk about the soda weight loss before, but is there like a, a affiliate link, like soda weight loss? or something like no, that. When, when, you, you are the greatest guest who's ever lived. No, you just call and you say, I heard it on the Todd Herman show. Um, oh, okay. And they'll Very ask nice. you, they'll ask you, how'd you hear about it? So man, you just got yeah. big bonus points from the host. Look at you. Wow. Well oh done. Yeah. <laughs> I, I was, I don't even know if you know this, but I was diagnosed with terminal cancer 23 years ago and uh, I changed my diet and did a lot of health stuff. I ended up losing 70 pounds and I have a lot of respect for people that are, you know, trying to lose weight and need to work on that and, and any kind of help that's healthy you can get is, is awesome. Thanks for saying that. So man. good. God is good. Uh, so here's the thing. And I was kind of, I don't have this completely fleshed out yet, but it just kind of hit me this morning that we've, we've been transitioned to an extent into this. And the word that comes to mind is ethereal, sort of this ethereal world that we live in every single day. And, but ethereal is not the right word because there's, there's positive connotation with that word. And I don't think the world that we're living in today is all that positive. And what I'm talking about is not the, you know, going to the kids' baseball games or football games or, 
or, you know, or spending time on the lake with friends or, do, you know, the, the things that we do that we really, really enjoy. But it's more this sort of this virtual world that we live in that's driven by the screens and it causes us to, it occupies the majority of our mind and our, and our time in terms of our sense. You know, a lot of times I've got so much stuff going on right now that I'll, I'll be, I have two different phones. I have a laptop, yeah. whatever. I'm, and somebody asks me a question, I'm like responding to something and I'm kind of mechanically, oh, let me, let me process this question while I'm replying to it, you know, and so you end up living in this world that's driven by devices and screens and it's not actually real. It reminds me of, like the lion, the witch in the wardrobe, when you walk through the back of the closet and you walk into this, you know, this other land yeah. or, you know, this, but that's ethereal. But ours is this virtual world that isn't, it isn't ethereal because it's not positive. It's not good. It's all kind of black and white. It takes the color out of everything. It takes God out of everything. And so I, I don't know if that touches you in a certain way, but I, I just feel like everybody needs to know, like, take a breath, look around, open your eyes, get, lift your head from your screen today and, and see the absolute glory that God has made in this incredible world and the people that are surrounding us, listen to some good music and, yeah. and just, you know, get your head up. So, well, I would say this, it does touch me in this way. Um, it also reminds me that our enemies are not flesh and blood, but, uh, but spirits and principalities. And it also reminds me of the fact that the world economic forum, one of their key advisors was asked, because he said, we don't need most people. We don't need about 6.5 billion people. This is a thing they talk about a lot. They're very, very set on, there should only be 500 million people allowed to live. And there's people like Professor Dennis Meadows who hopes that we can get rid of people peacefully and equitably, quietly. Um, and that we all, yeah, we all, we all uh, uh, take on a certain role in that. He said these things. Uh, Jane Goodall has said, we need to get back to 500 million people living. And this guy's name, I don't even like to speak, uh, but he's a key advisor to Klaus Schwab. Um, he was asked, well, what do we do? Like with all these people we don't need. He said, well, a lot of that can be managed with video games and psychotropics. Wow. So that, that a lot of that can be managed by, you know, um, um, uh, this alternate reality that they're building, the metaverse. You know, we'll just put the Oculus headsets yeah. on them or whatever face, Facebook's calling them these days, the, the headsets on them and get them uh, snacking on some psychotropics. And, and lo and behold, now you, you haven't killed them, but you've turned them in. So you have to take them out of the way, basically. Um, and you use them in the metaverse to build things for you, to code for you. They don't know they're doing that, but why tell them? So yeah, it touches me because there's nothing that the party's doing that is not adverse to God. I, I invite anyone, anytime to come on my podcast and tell me what the party's doing that is not adverse to God. Um, so yeah, it touches me that way. I didn't get to go, uh, to DC in January 6th. I was actually on the air for Rush Limbaugh, God, God rushed Rush on Jan 6. And it was towards the end of the show that people began going into the Capitol. So you were there. What did you see? Yeah. God bless Rush. Huh? Sometimes I wonder what would Rush say today? Oh, you know what? I did this the other day, um, because listeners asked me and a, and a, and a, a new friend of mine, a woman who survived an abortion. I'm going to have her on next week. Uh, she asked me, what would Rush have said after, 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 uh, the, the Roe versus Wade decision? And it would have been this. <laughs> yeah, it would have been, <clears throat> pardon me. <laughs> and you people doubted me. Uh, when, when I said Trump, Trump would be the one to do away with Roe versus what you, you said, you said he wasn't pro-life. I'm telling you, don't doubt me. 800-282-282 if you want to be in the program. Would have been something like that. He would have been, he, he would have been of great cheer about that. 
Um, I would be very curious to have heard Rush respond in full because he certainly responded um, before the Lord called him home because Rush uh, confessed his faith in Christ Jesus before he died. Thank, thank God. Yeah. Uh, I would have liked to have seen him respond in full to things like they're changing the definition of recession. Um, there's so much. Uh, but let's yeah. talk about your response to Jan 6 when you were there. What did you see? Yeah, so so I arrived on the 4th, and uh, and that night we actually – witnessed, I won't tell you the story, but we, we were, there was an altercation at Lafayette Park that we were uh, at and uh, we weren't involved in that. We were just kind of watching, but we actually saw three people that night and one of them within, you know, three, four or five feet of me, I heard her say that she was paid to be there to stir up trouble. And so that should have been the first hint. I think if you go back to whenever it was and sometime in December when President Trump tweeted that they were going to have the gathering, that was like, it was like the cherry on top of the greatest heist in world history. You know, the, the 2020 election, the results of that were incredibly orchestrated over a period of many years, not just four years, but probably more like 12 or 16 years that they've been working on this. And uh, I was at the cyber symposium that Mike Lindell hosted. So I got to see that. I saw the data that True the Vote put out a year ago, and I couldn't believe it. I was so astounded as an engineer just looking at that. Uh, if you haven't seen 2,000 Mules, you definitely need to see it. But anyways, we fast forward. I, I didn't get it until the you know the morning of the sixth. We were staying at uh, right on the corner of 14th and Pennsylvania Avenue at uh, the JW Marriott, and our window, our room looked out over the street on Pennsylvania Avenue, and we just saw this flood of people going over to the Ellipse, which is right by the White House, between there and the Washington Monument. That's about I think it's about two miles from the Capitol. And they had a permit for 30,000 people and there was well over a million people that showed up. And this, just to set the stage for you, this was like a NASCAR race or a rodeo. This was the kind of people that were there. It was, there were some weird people that were dressed up in some weird gear, but they were few and far between. It was freezing cold. Uh, you know, the person next to us was actually an, an older gentleman in a wheelchair and his, his daughter was pushing him around. The crowds were so tight, we couldn't even hardly see the stage, let alone hear anything on the microphones. Uh, a couple, two, three hours later, we actually left to help this gal get her dad out of the crowd while President Trump was speaking because we couldn't really hear what he was saying anyways, which also brings into question how much he influenced what people did that day. Uh, and before, so we helped her get out. We walked over to drop off some stuff at our hotel walked into the room and CNN was already blasting that there was a, a breach of the Capitol. And instantly in that moment, it all came together. And I realized, Oh my goodness, this is all a setup. This entire thing is a sham and a setup. So we rushed down Pennsylvania Avenue to get to the Capitol. And sure enough, we get there. There's no barricade. There's no, I mean, there was like, I mean, you, I'm sure you've been to events in Washington DC and you've been on the mall there's always a tremendous amount of fencing and security and mass amounts of police and cops and, you know, Capitol police, DC police, you know, everything. There was, there was maybe two dozen police that I saw and they were throwing concussion bombs into the crowd. Again, remember this is elderly children think NASCAR rodeo. And what do you think the response is going to be? These, these people love America. They know the election is stolen. The Capitol had already been breached, I believe, by people who were paid to be there. We had witness of that. And, you know, you also look at those the videos that have been released and you see the actions of these people. This was not a planned insurrection. This was 
for the most part, people walking into open doors where they were escorted and invited. One of my staff on my campaign team went into the Capitol. I didn't go into the Capitol. I stood on the grass from the west side and watched what was going on. I actually stood there and talked to a member of Pelosi's office for about an hour. And she had walked over from her apartment because she heard there was some stuff going on. And uh, so that, you know, that was kind of the experience. And, uh, you know, there was, there was a lot more to it. I ended up meeting a photographer after it was over and I got a piece of, he gave me a piece of the glass that, that he picked up from the platform where he was at. Uh, six months later, so, no, about eight months later, I was in D.C. shooting an awareness video at the D.C. jail and Carl Dresch, who was a prisoner for six months in solitary confinement, 23 hours a day, came walking out of the jail while we were shooting a video. He literally tears in his eyes, walked up. I'm reading off a teleprompter. Our team is there. We're shooting this video. And it was just this human moment. And, and we hugged and we let him use one of our phones to call his wife. And I ended up interviewing him talking about the conditions in the jail, which were horrific. Uh, and that video went viral, was getting tens of thousands of views, you know, per day until YouTube shut it down about a week later. And so, you know, this is my, my there, there is nobody that will be a bigger defender. And you look at the way, let me just say this, Todd, because this is very important. Most people don't see the truth hidden in plain sight in our constitution. In 1791, our, our framers ratified the, the final state ratified our first 10 amendments in the constitution. What people don't realize is those started as 17 amendments in the Senate. They were reduced down to 12 in the house. And then oddly, as they went out to the States for acceptance, they, they ended up on ten, those first 10 amendments. Now what's interesting about it is, is that half of those first 10 amendments are related to the treatment of prisoners. And so you have to step back and ask yourself, so were our framers interested or worried about the treatment of guilty criminals or were they concerned about what tyrannical governments do to innocent people by imprisoning them? And the answer is evident in what we're seeing in America today. And our framers knew it because they just came out of England. They had, you know, miraculously, by God's grace, separated ourselves from England and, and we're seeing the evidence of it, and, and our protection is in the Constitution, and it's hidden in plain sight right there. It's a great way to put it. Um, and I would ask you this. Uh, there, there are, because uh, we've got to be able to admit this. I, I know there were Antifa people there. John, John D. Sullivan, John X, uh, is Antifa and Black Lives Matter. He got paid 70 grand for a video. Um, the New York Times tried to drag me. Uh, into this whole thing by saying, I said it was all Antifa that did this. That's not what I said. I said the using of barricades as ladders is a technique Antifa has been allowed to practice for two years in Portland as they were trying to murder federal deputies. But of course, that's not an insurrection. Um, I would say um, in in the people who are held in solitary for so long, absolutely inhumane, 100% unconstitutional. It's torture. They're political prisoners. I do read about, um, and it's so difficult to believe the FBI on anything. Um, I read about uh, people who showed up with guns and zip ties and did plan to try to take con- uh, Congress members, uh, congressional members captive. Um, how would you treat someone like that if that was proven that they actually showed up with guns and zip ties and, and were going to take people captive? Yeah, I don't think anybody is saying that there wasn't some guilty people there. And, you know, the question is, and, and I think that those people should be treated as guilty people. The, the problem is, is to try to make this out, you know, their goal, and maybe people don't know this, but 
if President Trump is convicted of insurrection, he's not eligible to hold oh, yeah. public office in unless you can get two thirds majority of Congress to overcome such a thing. And so here's the setting. They knew that they were in the midst of the greatest heist in world history, which was a 2020 election. They knew that there was a good chance the American people were going to stand up, stand together and, and, you know, stop the coup that is Biden and whoever is pulling his puppet strings. And they really wanted this insurrection pin so that they could have it as a fallback position just in case the, the sham election was found out and they could say, well, he's guilty of insurrection and, you know, he's no longer eligible. So we're going to install, you know, whoever we want as our vice president. Why else would they pick such a weak vice president? Uh, the weakest president, most feckless vice president in our lives. They, okay, well, he, we, we can't have Biden. Let's, let's put the cackler in there, you know, and, and they can hook the puppet strings up to her. You know, it's just so obvious. And this is the frustrating thing about the Republican Party, about the establishment, which we've been talking about today, and just America in general, is why do we not stand up and stand together against this lunacy? We say we love God. We say we love America. We say that we, we, we want to defend freedom and protect our kids and do all this stuff. But where are we at? Where, where are the people at? Where's the shoulders that should be pressing up against mine and yours? Yeah. And mine's less important than yours, brother. All I do is podcast um, and, and try to spread the word as a, you know, as a broken clay pot, your, your voice is, you're doing something more important. Well, here's the thing is that Satan is very clever. Uh, he's a thief. He's a liar. He's a murderer. And one of his greatest tools is apathy and winding people down. And the Lord Jesus said, um, and I'm trying to remember what church to which church he was speaking in the book of revelation. You'll probably know, um, Laodicea, do I say that the right way? I was, uh, yeah. uh, where he said, and this has been my quote this week, my, my Bible verse this week is you're neither hot nor cold. You're lukewarm. And I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. And that's why I opened the show by saying today is the day the Lord has made. These are the times to which God has decided we will live. And often I remind people that this is a time of choosing and I, I I'll wrap it this way. And I, I think I know your answer, um, Jared, but before we wrap it, let me just ask how do people get in touch with you if they want to support you? And this will be in the podcast links, by the way. So we've got something that's really cool. Um, first of all, we are the first congressional candidate and I, I believe possibly in the first, uh, I'll be the first member of Congress should I get elected to have their own app. So you can go to the app store and download the Jared Sesto for Congress app. It's on the Google play store and the Apple app store. Uh, obviously we have a website, Jared congress.com. And, uh, you know, obviously I'm a candidate, we need donations. So yeah. anybody who wants to donate to support our campaign, that's really great. Just go to our website or our app and you can accomplish that. Awesome. Um, is there such a thing as, um, a secular world? It, you're asking me? Absolutely. Yeah. You think so? Because I don't think there is. I think there's people who want to believe there's a secular world. I think God made everything, everyone, and everything. And I think this is one of the big deceptions that Satan has pulled is, well, there's the secular world. Because you know why I'm worried about that, Jared? Is because people will say, yeah, you know what? I keep my faith, my faith, um, work, um, you know, my profession. That's the secular world. Um, so I keep my faith. I keep that for the religious world. I think that's perhaps the greatest stunt Satan has pulled aside from convincing people he doesn't exist. Yeah, it's a good point. It's another manipulation of the language. You know, we see the left doing it all the time and it, 
you know, they're trying to normalize what is not normal. And that's a very good point. And I appreciate that call out because that's the, we have to continue to renew our minds. You know, it's that Romans 12. We've got to, we've got to continue to reset each other and to, you know, help each other to see things as they actually are, not as people want to paint them. Right. And remember, uh, it was Barack Hussein Obama who said, uh, oh, no, 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 no one wants to take away your, 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 your right to worship. Uh, you, you worship as you see fit. That's how you had to make it. So, Jared, I know you've got a campaign to run and an establishment to fight. Uh, I so appreciate you coming on. And just that's just you go with God's good grace. Yeah, I appreciate it, Todd. Thank you. And uh, just I, I pray the American people hear a voice of encouragement when they hear me and they hear me speak, because that's truly what I want to be. Uh, not a voice of encouragement to sit on your couch and do nothing, but a voice of encouragement to realize that we are the consenters. We are the ones who uh, are responsible for this country and we absolutely can stand together. And I would encourage people and just by saying the world is counting on us to win. Yep. We must win. Yep. Amen. This is the Todd Hermit Show. Please go be well, be strong, be kind, and of course, be right with God.